How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels or like sees the church it as suspicious? The church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers, I would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming The church is the most vocal political voice against immigration. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually It seems like so much of the church is concerned with being a good anti-critical they are being homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. We are back this week with another episode that I'm doing. While I have three guests who I'm trying to line up that I'm really stoked on having on the podcast. So hopefully soon I will have those three lined up and ready to go. And until then, you will be hearing from me more. You know, usually depending on my guests, I do one-on, one-off, one-on, one-off with guests and me teaching. This is, I think we had three or four guests in a row, so now this is my second week teaching in a row. Inviting people further on this journey and when we acknowledge that the church needs therapy. Now this week, what I want to talk about is doubt and struggling with God in the Bible, wrestling with believing parts of Christianity that we have been taught we are supposed to believe in order to be Christians or be people of faith. And here's how I want to do that. And here's why I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Some people, you know, will like we go to podcasts, we go to these other spaces outside of a local church to have conversations that are the conversations we really want to have, right? The conversations where we're rethinking things, the conversations where we feel a sense of solidarity of people who are doubting what we doubt, question what we questioned, letting go of what we're letting go of, moving on from where we're moving on from. Like so much of the vital, exciting, life-giving conversations happen outside of the context of a local church and so many of the people who are going to podcasts in other spaces don't see their churches or local churches around them as honest, open, safe, real spaces to be exactly where they are, think how they think, question what they're questioning, and still be fully included, embraced, and celebrated in the community. Right? That's it's good that we have these other places like this podcast, for example, but what's what would be also good or what would be great is if there were concrete local communities where people could still do the rituals, sing the songs, pray the prayers, be in community, serve the community with each other, even in the midst of reorganizing, reconfiguring, doubting, questioning, letting go of their faith, whatever it is. Like, that's my dream. That's what I hope more and more churches can become. And I think more and more churches need to become those kinds of spaces. So this week, here's what I want to do. Just a couple weeks ago, because our church, Imagine, just started meeting again in person for the first time after... I think 19 to 20 months of not meeting. And 
on a Sunday night, two Sundays ago, we, this is what we talked about. We talked about doubt and questioning and struggling and wrestling and the role that has being integrated into our journey of faith and into the church as a whole. So what I did was I did the beginning of this teaching on doubting. I did this exercise with people inviting us to share their doubts. And then I finished the sermon whatever way I did. So what I want to do here for context is I want, I'm going to give you the first part of that teaching. And then I have some of these note cards here from what people wrote. And I want to respond to these to give you all a sense of, well, not just as a person who has a podcast, but pastorally in the concrete. When people ask, but what does this mean? How do we live this? I want to show you how in the midst of doubts and struggles and wrestling and not believing or believing how we hold this together in our church with the hopes of helping you see the possibilities of living out the fullness of your faith in community, if that's something you ever desire, even while you're doubting and letting go of old beliefs. So, Acts 9, 36 through 40. I'm going to take a drink right now. This is a story, Acts 9, 36 through 40, where this woman named Tabitha, I'm not going to read the whole thing. This amazing disciple named Tabitha, you know, take the scriptures say in verse 37, she, oh, in verse 36, she's always doing good and helping the poor. This amazing woman. Verse 37, about the time she became sick and died, her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. So this woman, Tabitha, this amazing young leader, or I don't know how old she was, this amazing leader in this young church dies. They call Peter, another leader, right? One of the leaders of this new movement over to that place. And Peter heals her and she resurrects and comes back from the dead, right? Verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room when he got there. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand. I basically am reading this whole story. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. And everyone's like, what just happened? So Tabitha dies and Peter gets down on his knees and prays for her. And she comes back to life. So, can I be honest with you right now, with the listeners? I don't know what I believe about this. Right? This woman dies and she's dead. She's dead. And they call Peter over to come pray for her. And she's raised from the dead. Like, think about today, if one of your family members died and a local pastor in the community said he wanted to come over and pray for her, you'd be like, well, pray for her. She's dead, already kind of weird. And he says, no, I want to pray for her to come back to life. That's where I would probably say, um, no need to come over. We're planning a funeral and not a circus. No need for an extravaganza here. 
Like, think about that. Would you let them come? If a local religious leader wanted to come to your house because your grandma, your aunt, your uncle, whoever it was, passed away and they said, we want to pray for them to be raised from the dead, what would you do? Now, put ourselves back there and let's, let's really, really consider these are real people. And when I read that story, I just think, I don't know what I believe about this. I don't know if I believe this. Which leads to this. Doubting, questioning, and wrestling are not obstacles to faith. They're companions of faith. Doubting, questioning, wrestling, they're not obstacles that the devil planted there to lead us off the path. They are organic and welcomed companions on our journey of faith. So the idea I wanted to introduce people or remind people of a few Sunday nights ago or a couple, and I want to do right now too, is this whole journey is one that if it's going to be real and if it's going to sustain you, if it's going to carry you through everything, it has to be one that makes room for the doubting, the questioning, the arguing, the wrestling with God, the wrestling with the Bible, the doubting of the Bible, the not knowing what you think, the carrying of questions. It has to be a faith that is able to hold all of that together. Here's a few things to take into consideration. Israel literally means to fight or to wrestle with God. Jewish people have been wrestling and fighting with the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which is essentially their Bible. The first five, they've been wrestling with the Torah. They've been wrestling with God. They've been fighting with God faithfully for thousands and thousands of years, even before Christians existed. So here, here, here the... And to normalize the questioning and doubting and wrestling, right? Here's a few things. I think it's in Matthew. Oh, I don't have the, is it 18, 17? I don't have the reference right here. But in the story of, there's just, there's a post-resurrection story. Maybe it's Matthew 28, 17, I believe. There's a post-resurrection story where Jesus, the same people who saw Jesus get taken away and crucified, are now seeing him alive. And he's, I think it's right before the ascension, he's giving his final speech, right? Something amazing is about to happen. And the scriptures say something, something, and then some doubted. So like many worshipped him, for example, I might say something like that. Many worshipped him, but some doubted. Oh, they saw him! These are the people who actually saw him get crucified. The story says now he's there and they're still doubting. Like why maybe, maybe that mention of, oh yeah, and by the way, some doubted, maybe that's there as an invitation or a welcoming or an inclusion of the doubts we have in a post-resurrection world. Like why would the author decide to put that there? The people saw him and they still doubted. Like all kinds of leaders have all kinds of doubts and questions and things they believe or don't believe that we think we're supposed to believe about the Bible or God or Jesus. Right? I had Frank Schaefer on here a, a while ago. Frank Schaefer, his newest book. I love Frank. We exchanged a couple emails, I think today actually. His newest book, November 8th, I believe. What is it? Love love, get married, have kids, stay put, save the planet. It's something like that. His newest book, go check it out. He's the man. He's hilarious. 
And Frank says that he's an atheist who believes in God. And Frank is a person who does not claim to be a Christian, but is consistently talking about Jesus. What do you do with that? There's a story of a very well-known megachurch pastor who, on his way to, to preach an Easter Sunday service, on the way there was just like, I don't know. I don't know what I think about all this. Like, really, we have the story so the one true story of the universe is the one I'm telling this morning. And we all know that. Like he was going to preach this sermon and just thought to himself, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about all this. Right. But he, and he still went up and preached it. Mother Teresa, who by many people's estimations would be considered one of the greatest exemplars of the Christian faith in the 20th century. And some of her journals were published after she died. And I think people were trying to keep them from being published because in the journals, you see how deeply she wrestled with God, doubting God, doubting whether or not God is even there for her and even present or even exists while she's following Jesus to the margins. That's why I would say doubt does not deny your faith. It deepens it. Doubting your beliefs about God, doubting what you used to think about God, doubting your, the, the existence of God does not deny your faith. It deepens it because it makes it real, because it's an expression of you learning and allowing yourself to be honest. You know, I make jokes here, like how I see things from Christians all the time that make it hard for me to stay committed to the church, which as a pastor is an occupational hazard for me. And despite how many times I roll my eyes and instead of saying some sarcastic, angry comment, practice letting go within, I'm, I'm here at my church with you proclaiming the, the name, proclaiming the way of Jesus still. Like, you know how hard it is for me to see in the name of the Jesus I believe in, which is the empire-challenging, liberating person of color who was committed to peace and included everyone. You know how hard it is for me to see people in our culture who are like, yep, that Jesus, that's the one who we believe is against immigrants and wants you, wants you to have an assault rifle. You know how ridiculous that is. Like, well, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And they're like, yes. And when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, it was so you could reach down and grab your AR-15. I don't think that's what he was saying. There's a, a woman, a queer woman in our church who, in a conversation we had recently, was just said, I'm so done with organized religion, but I still feel at home and imagine. We are always living out a faith that is unfinished. Questions. Doubts, struggles are all a normal and healthy part of the journey. And remember, doubting your understanding of God is not the same as doubting God, which is why you can doubt everything you've ever believed about God and still be deeply connected with God. That's what I wanted to show people on that Sunday night and now is you can doubt what you believe about God. You can question what you believe about God. You can question what you believe about Jesus or the Bible and still be just as open to the electricity of the Spirit, just as loved by God. That does not change. And you can hopefully, more and more churches, you can still be loved by the church.
So what about you? What questions do you have? If your faith is unfinished, what questions are you carrying still? What, where do you struggle with the Bible? It's like, you know, is Jesus the only way to God? What does that even mean? And hell? Most Christians act like it's so simple. You don't believe like us, and you're going to be tortured forever. And that's what a loving God does. Right? And we're like, okay, Jonah got swallowed by a massive fish. Most people say whale for a few days and survived. Like, do I have to believe that Jonah story is literal in order to open my life to Christ and live into resurrection energy and be transformed by a loving God? Do I have to believe that? The Noah story, a flood for the entire planet? Probably not. Do I have to believe that literally happened in order to be a Christian? Do I have to believe these things in order to be loved by God? And this is the moment where I said all these things, right, to begin our sermon, essentially. And then we had an exercise and we put some music on and for, I don't know, five to seven minutes, I put these questions on the screen. What are the doubts you have? What are the questions you carry? What is your, or what is your struggle with God, essentially? And I want to read some of these answers so you can see how doubt and questioning can be held together in a community under the Lordship of Christ. Like, I am a Christian. I am a pastor. I don't lead a spiritual community. I don't lead a vague spiritual community. I lead a church. I am a follower of Jesus and I am a pastor. People know that. I don't try to hide that. But there are ways to carry doubting and believing differently and questioning and even not considering yourself a Christian in the context of a church and a community. What are the doubts you have? What are the questions you carry? What is your struggle with God? And I want to read some of these answers and respond briefly to them so you can see and feel the possibilities of having doubts, reorganizing your faith, and still being fully a part of a community. So I'm going to read some of these. I'll give a couple of responses probably. This person wrote, I've been reading Genesis and some of the literal aspects seem off. People living 900 years, Noah's Ark, etc. I bet this, but he said, oh, but this person wrote, but I bet this sermon's pretty much covering this because I was kind of making jokes about those things. The same person wrote, does God send people of other religions to hell? Or if people are just recognizing another higher power other than themselves, is that good enough? Literal beliefs about ancient myths in the Bible, carrying questions about hell, that person can be just as welcomed and embraced in our church. And with the, with their beliefs or unbeliefs, they have they their life is just as much of a sight of the possibility of God being born afresh within them as somebody who believes all of the orthodox beliefs and or, you know, carries the Christianity in a way most people are used to, which is like, I believe it, I don't doubt it, it's okay. That person's life is the perfect site for a new revelation and incarnation of God. This person wrote, how do I continue to evolve in my faith while so many I care about are unable or unwilling to evolve themselves. 
it breaks my heart and I feel sad. So this person's like, basically I'm growing and other people in my life are not growing the same way. And that's really hard. And yes, that person growing can be a part of the church. One person just turned out, she could see it. The whole five by seven card says God with a question mark. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's all they write. God? That's how I read that. God. Or no, it's more like God? Like really? So here's a person who's not doubting their beliefs about God. They're not even sure of God. And yet they are in an environment where a, com a collective heart is opened up to the presence of the resurrected Christ. And I wouldn't be surprised, even in the midst of their doubts, that they have they, they start to brush up against the Spirit. It's a great story called Take the a great book called Take This Bread by Sarah Miles in San Francisco, where she went to this church one day at the age of 46, longtime liberal kind of justice worker, probably, you know, sort of anti-Christianity to some degree. And she walked into a church, took communion and started, I think started weeping, had this profound experience. And she said, I kept something like I kept encountering the God I didn't believe in. You think you believe in every, no, anybody can be open to the incoming of Christ at any moment, no matter what they believe, no matter where they are. This person wrote, how can I deprogram my brain from the evangelical brainwashing I experienced as a child? Oh, that's funny. So this person's going through a process of learning and unlearning, and they have a, there's a communities where you can do that openly and honestly. This person wrote, I've basically given up on trying to understand God and instead choose to trust experience just like essentially experiencing God through moments, nature, and life. Well, first of all, that is that is actually a great approach to transformation. Giving up the, the attempt to understand God, where it's cognitive, where it's conceptual, where it's rational. And a person says, I just want to experience God through moments, right? There's a difference I've said before between spiritual intelligence and spiritual experience. Intelligence, what I believe about God, experience a direct experience of God. So... That's a good thing, actually, to open yourself up to simply be present to and awake and experience God through nature, moments, etc. So well done to that person. This person wrote, three. there's three like little chicken scratches or dash marks. They said, one, will humanity do the right thing? It's a good question. Two, life after death, question mark. Three, res I love this, respectfully, don't believe... <laughs> You know, that's a thing. I don't know if you're aware of that slang people say when they say respectfully. But I love when this person just writes respectfully. Don't believe any of this. But yet they're, they're here. They're open. They're connecting. They're like, to me, that's amazing. And also, they don't, there's no timeline for people to believe any particular doctrines in order for them to be absolutely embraced by the church and also completely open to the incoming of the Spirit. When I talk about that kind of a welcoming community, some people push back and they're like, but when do you get to a point where you like, they gotta believe this? As if eventually you give them room to be honest, but eventually you're supposed to give them an ultimatum. I'm like, do you think if there is a creative, present, benevolent source to all of this, 
Do you think that source gives humanity an ultimatum when it comes to experiencing love? I don't. That would be it. The, the spirit we see that they bear witness to in the scriptures and that I've experienced is an infinite outpouring of love that is continuously present and renewing itself. That never stops. There is no, this is not a God of ultimatums, which means we are not supposed to be people of ultimatums when it comes to whether, when it comes to when they open up to that. It's ridiculous. So, so stupid. Let's see, this person writes, what is, am, am I really supposed to believe in a movement used for colonization, genocide, and capitalism? The first thing they wrote was, why does me being Hawaiian block my validity as a Christian or vice versa? Interesting. So here's a, an indigenous person, a native Hawaiian, who is looking at the movement of Christianity as the reinforcers, perpetuators, and introducers out here of colonization, genocide, and capitalism. And they're wrestling with, how do you be Hawaiian and Christian? They see, because it's not the God in the Bible who... They start talking about other forms of God, indigenous gods, God in the Bible, etc. So here's a here's a you know a native Hawaiian who is very aware of how Christianity has been in a completely entangled and responsible for the knot of imperialism, capitalism, genocide, cultural genocide, etc. etc. Okay. Yeah. The, we we need voices like that to help disentangle Christianity from its unfettered white supremacy and imperialism over the past, let's just say 500 years. We need those voices. Those are great questions. That's a lot to wrestle with when it comes to identity. Um, I don't know what this, this is, there's too much there. It was a little hard for me to read all that. Is the Bible 100% infallible and in there? Well, the question to the answer to that is no. <laughs> Is hell a thing? For that matter, is heaven real? I like what this person wrote. What if I'm wrong about being affirming to the LGBTQ plus community? So here's a person who probably, you know, had traditional views, now sees themselves as affirming, but still has questions. What if I'm wrong in that? I, I like the honesty of that question. Questioning about hell. How can I read the Bible and learn from it if I don't take it as literal truth? This is, you know, questioning. Well, inerrancy is unnecessary, but questioning hell questioning how you read the bible or rethinking how you read it. this is all a part of our journey of growing and evolving these are not bad things for sad christians who lost their way these are honest things for real christians who are finding their way that honesty is what is needed like a blind uncritical acceptance of any religious teaching is so dangerous this is this is, wow, pastorally, I see this as courageous and honest and authentic, and it's something I celebrate so much. Like these doubts and questions are things I not only tolerate, but I celebrate as being honest about our journey as human beings, finding our way and trying to ground ourselves in this amazing story along the way. Um, how can the church preach about love? but often doesn't accept LGBTQ+. What's the church's stance on abortion? What about what about autonomy and freedom? 
why are so many Christians against immigration when Jesus was an immigrant from the Middle East? It's a great question. You know, it's only been 30 or 40 years since white evangelicals in the United States have seen abortion as being directly tied to what it means to be a Christian. That's actually a newer belief, by the believe it or not. Frank Schaefer, who I mentioned earlier, was responsible at that point in his journey for creating that amongst people for religious and political reasons over the years to in strengthening that as well. So there's you can you can question or doubt anything that people take for granted. It's hard to believe in Christianity when there are tons of other religions that people believe in just as much as we believe in Christianity. How do we know that our faith is the one that's real? Great question. These are the questions we carry through. This person wrote, I don't believe there's a difference between religions. I feel like you, quote, are a certain religion based off geography, socioeconomic status, etc. That is a great question. And what's fascinating was when I was 18 and I had this profound, immediate, spontaneous awakening moment with God, within a few months after, I remember thinking to myself, what if I had this same journey of questioning my life and taking this deep inward journey and wondering about God and having this profound awakening experience with the spirit. But I was, you know, raised in Jordan or, you know, I was raised in a predominantly Arabic place where my family, people around me are Muslim. Would I have that same dynamic experience of the spirit, but instead of immediately associating it with Jesus, would I immediately associate it with Allah and Muhammad and, you know, the, the story, the, the religion of Islam. I remember asking myself that because is it just I immediately associate my experience of the spirit with this tradition because that's pretty dominant here in the United States of America? What if I was over there? I remember asked, like, just carrying that question with me. Those are good questions about being born in a particular place and growing in your faith and growing in your life with God, even if you're in a different place, you know, and what that means for our tradition and, and to what it means to be a Christian. I have like two more. Let me see. Um, this is just about how, why is hell real if God's a forgiving God? That is a good, good, good question. This person wrote, does God really have a seat for me at the table? What does God say about anti-vaxxers, Trump supporters, those against the marginalized, and how can I love them anyway? Where is God in my family that doesn't like to communicate the hard things? Do you see this is, this is a sample of just one church, one small church in Hawaii. And this is just a sample of some of those questions. This is, this is the, the blood and the depth and the tears of our life. You know, we have to be able to ask these questions, carry all of this, and still be people of faith, be people of hope, and hopefully be people who are still a part of the church. You know, and I will say this, you can be in process and still experience God's presence. You can be uncertain about your beliefs and still be confident in God's love. You can wrestle with what you believe and still actually travel and move forward on the way of Jesus. Right? There are the details of the menu, and there's the actual tasting of the meal. 
the details of the menu, the beliefs you have. Do I believe this story is literal? Do I believe the Bible is inspired? Do I believe all, right, all these things? There are the details of the menu. There's the actual tasting of the meal. Let's talk about the menu. It's helpful. But even if you don't know all the ingredients in a particular dish, when it's delivered to you, you can still taste the fullness and the goodness of it. You can taste and know that it's good even when you don't understand all the details of it. That is one of the most important things I wish people knew and could carry. While you're doubting, love is still just as present. While you're questioning, grace is still just as present. While you're less certain of your beliefs about Jesus, you can actually be more, even more connected to Christ. Those two don't cancel each other out. They have a relationship in our journey, right? Your picture of God will change, but the presence of God does not. Or your picture of Jesus will change, and it should but the presence of Christ does not. I remember a long time ago, I'd imagine teaching something like this. And my wife and I have known each other since we were 16 years old. And I showed a picture of us at prom when we're 17. Probably showed it, I'm just trying, I'm making this up now because I can't remember a picture. Think about a picture of us in college in New York at 2021. Picture of us at 23 living in Orange County, 27, 29, 30, moving back to Hawaii. What, like, all these different pictures. So in each one of those, the picture looks so different. But the energy, the presence, the actual substance of who we are and the, the connection we share is the same. Of course, we've changed, but the essence, the energy source, the connection itself, the love, that love remains even as the picture keeps changing. And that's something, even as your picture of God and Jesus in the Bible changed, the presence of God and Christ and love and grace not only does not change, but I, I can actually become more real to you. You can be less certain about what you believe in, more connected, and there can be more union with Christ. That is a great mystery that the Spirit guides us through in our life. So... Doubts, questions, struggling, wrestling. Not only can we do this in our minds, not only can we do this with podcasts, but what I want to show you as a pastor as I respond to all of that and celebrate it all, we can do this in community. There will be communities who can hold this space for people as we all change and grow and still desire, like, you can... Not even be sure if you believe in God and still follow Jesus. That's an amazing thing. So I'm not going to keep ranting about that. Doubts, be honest about them. Some questions you will carry forever. Right? There's questions I have. I just carry. I don't even look to answer them. I'm just carrying them with me as I'm following and proclaiming Jesus and the love of God and how to wake up in this world. So honesty, doubting, embrace it, bring it all to the table. And hopefully there are more and more churches who can become that space for people as we grow.